Our Father, we ask for your help and blessing because once again we find ourselves opening the Word and once again we recognize how terribly needy we are of your Spirit's not only presence but His active work. So for it we pray to open our ears and our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 6, beginning at verse 1, we'll read the first seven verses of the chapter. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. It was at this critical juncture in the advancement of God's kingdom that this office of deacon was instituted. Not, of course, that this kind of ministry was unknown among the people of God before this. As with the other offices in church government, there were earlier counterparts uh, already in the Old Testament to the diaconal uh, office as well. Just as ministers had always borne the responsibility of proclaiming the Word and leading the people of God in worship, and elders carried the responsibility of ruling them, so also there had been a position among the Levites that looked very much like the role here filled by the newly ordained deacons in the church in Jerusalem. Only now the need was even more pressing uh, for their service, so Luke takes this precious space here to give us this account to highlight here the ordination, the setting apart of seven men as deacons. It's in the tradition of these excellent servants that our own deacons follow to this very day, and in which we follow by taking this special time this morning to ordain them. I say that the need for their service was even more pressing at this specific time in Jerusalem because an important and significant shift had taken place. No longer were the civil government and ecclesiastical or church government uh, so closely related as they had been in the ancient epoch. You'll remember from your Bibles that of old, the state and the church uh, were very much uh, responsible together for fulfilling many of the diaconal functions, including the collection of the tithes, care for the poor, and so on. In fact, it was precisely their failure, you might remember, from times over the years that we've spent in the uh, prophets, from your own reading. I say it was their failure to care for the poor, as they should have, that often brought down God's anger 
and wrath upon the people of old. But now these provisions were no longer available, and so new arrangements had to be made to provide for the needs of the poor. Well, they were caring for the widows the best they could in those early days after Pentecost, but apparently the work was falling on some hard times. Complaints began to be heard from some of the Hellenistic group about their widows being neglected in the daily distribution. Just a word about this dispute that's uh, going on here. There were two kinds of Jews in the Christian church in those days. Uh, There were the Palestinian Jews. Palestinian Jews spoke Hebrew and in some cases, no doubt, prided themselves on being Uh, the pure Jews without any foreign influence in their lives. And then there were the Jews who had been away from Jerusalem, in many cases, for for, uh, for generations. They no longer even spoke Aramaic, uh, but Greek, hence the name Hellenists. Alas, as we all know, still today, there are still sometimes, even in the church, divisions between brothers and sisters. Haven't we been seeing that in our studies in 1 Corinthians. Divisions between brothers and sisters in Christ simply because of their differences, whether in language or culture or skin color or nationality or even social class. And sometimes that suspicion or prejudice comes part and parcel with real consequences. In this case, it seemed to the Hellenists that their widows were being unfairly treated, neglected in the daily distribution of help and Perhaps they were right. Maybe they were. At any rate, the remedy was clear. Men needed to be set apart specifically for this work. Men who were not already engaged in the ministry of word or worship, nor by implication already rulers in the church, but men nonetheless of godly character who were recognized by God's people as God's instrument, as indeed this congregation has been God's instrument in recognizing the men we ordain today as being worthy of and called to this work and this service. So seven men are chosen. Now just as a sidebar, take note of the fact that all seven of these men's names are Greek. They're Greek names. What wisdom is at work here in these Christians. And what a spirit that animates these Christians to be far more concerned uh, to avoid any division than to protect their little vested interests. You see, the Aramaic-speaking Jews here, it appears, gives the entire ministry to Greek speakers to care for the Greek, the Hellenistic widows, a clear and loving accommodation on their part to the Hellenists. Really remarkable. And we could go on to draw any number of uh, lessons for ourselves and make observations from this text and run with them this morning. We're going to abbreviate our time a little bit in light of uh, the the, uh, ceremony ahead of us. What I want to emphasize today is is simply this, the great importance of the office and work of deacon to the advancement of the kingdom of God. And that in two 
parts in two ways. First, consider the importance of the role of deacon with regard to the ministry of the Word and worship. That was the crisis behind this crisis, you know. The first most obvious crisis was that there had risen a dispute, of course, between Christians about the distribution and about maintaining a just level of care, particularly for the widows. But the crisis behind it was even deeper. It was a crisis, or at least a potential crisis, of the Word and worship. Ministers of that day were apparently busy about this work of distribution themselves. They were handling the diaconal tasks and duties while also trying to give attention to prayer, literally the prayer, which refers to the worship uh, service of the church, and the Word, obviously the preaching and proclaiming of the Word in that worship service. These were the things to which, and are, by the way, the things that ought to occupy the attention of pastors in the church, worship and the Word. But the diaconal type of concerns also need to be addressed, must be. The poor and widows and the orphans, they're the church's concern too. That's why the work of the deacons my brothers and sisters, it's so terribly important to the life of the church and the advancement of God's kingdom. Deacons free up the ministers of the church to do what ministers are supposed to do, fix their attention on the worship and the word. Otherwise, and far too easily, the pastors become distracted. Their central duties get pushed off, made peripheral, while day-to-day -day concerns about diaconal cases and other details consume our pastors' minds and their time. And when that happens, it can only spell disaster for the church. We can't afford to have distracted shepherds in the pulpit. Not when we have Paul saying things like this to pastors. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. For by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. No, no, we must not distract our ministers, even with things that are of great importance to the church, such as caring for the physical needs of people inside and outside the congregation. We need our ministers to be faithful to their calling and their tasks leading worship and proclaiming the Word. I want to go ahead and add my own personal encouragement and uh, to express my personal encouragement by the fact that uh, Christ Presbyterian Church has followed in the very pattern of Acts 6. I can remember for the first several years of ministry here in Owensboro, personally running groceries to people who called the church in need of help, taking people to the gas station, who uh, literally, literally pulled me away from sermon preparation and worship preparation with their needs, meeting with landlords, meeting with motel owners, all because we didn't have deacons. Now, those are real needs, and they could not be neglected. Of course they couldn't. But neither could I possibly continue to do that work and be faithful to to the task to which God has called ministers. So it's my pleasure and my pride to say that the Lord has, has raised up excellent deacons in this congregation since those days. 
And I'm confident that these two most recent additions are soon to be, have taken on many tasks themselves, uh, will do the same so that your pastor is not nearly as distracted by them. So you see how vital on that score the work of deacons is for the kingdom to remove this burden from the pastor, from the elders too, whose work it is to rule in matters spiritual in the life of the congregation. In this way, deacons contribute mightily to the advancement of the kingdom. Note verse 7 there, "...and the word of God continued to increase." And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The faith that is that the pastors of the church were freed to preach by the faithful service of the deacons. But that's not all. And here's the second point. The deacons also advance God's kingdom directly by their work of service and ministry. As they serve the needy and care for them in Christ's name, they become, as it were, the hands and feet of Christ. That's what our deacons are, reaching out with healing balm in time of need, coming to the aid of men and women, of boys and girls who are hurting in one way or another. You see, the reason why care for the widows was delegated to the, to the deacons was not because it was a work that was unimportant, but precisely because the work was so important and so central to the life of the church. Special men had to be found and made officers in the church for this work and to make it their specialty. And in doing so, the deacons, the diaconate, actually fills out the ministry, which the Scripture teaches us all over the place, cannot consist of the word only, but must consist also in deeds of love and of mercy. And through the years, we've seen how this office has, has, a, has directly borne on the kingdom of God. People have come to know the Lord through the ministry of the diaconate, and to uh, be joined to his church. Consider this, if you doubt that, consider what a threat uh, deacons are. A working diaconate is a real threat and has been to all those who hate the kingdom of God. During World War II, when the Netherlands were occupied by the Germans, the deacons of the Dutch Reformed Church busied themselves with the care of those who were persecuted. My uh, Dutch instructor in college uh, lived as a little girl in one of those homes where Jews were hidden away in the attic. The deacons... The Dutch Reformed Church supplied food and refuge in secret to those Jews. Now, the Germans caught wind of this, of course, and so they made a decree that the office of deacon shall be banned and eliminated from the church. 
The Reformed Church Synod on July 17, 1941, resolved this. Whoever touches the diaconate interferes with what Christ has ordained as the task of the church. Whoever lays hands on diaconia lays hands on worship. Guess what? The Germans backed down. See how a working diaconate, an active group of deacons, threatens and takes territory from the enemy. Satan loses ground every time a faithful deacon fulfills the duties of his office. And, of course, Satan's lost ground is the kingdom's gain. That's how God's kingdom grows, by spoiling Satan's kingdom, by freeing people from the kingdom of darkness and bringing them into the kingdom of light. The gates of hell shall not prevail against a faithful deacon and against the faithful diaconate. Amen.